Thank you for listening to the Define Nobody's podcast with Eric Arjuna and special guests. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobody's Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your host, Eric Ajna. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to Find Nobody's Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajna. We're back again with another episode. I have an amazing guest in the studio with us today, and we'll talk about her in just a moment. But I hope everybody's recovering from the April 20th hybrid solar eclipse that just went on. I think it was in Aries, right? And solar eclipses tend to be like a period of growth and sort of newfound opportunities for people, especially in Aries. Aries is a fire sign, so it's very action-oriented. And I found myself kind of embodying a lot of that energy. I ended up actually rereading the Bhagavad Gita and listening or reading over the story between Krishna Arjuna on the battlefield. It's a really, really inspiring story. And I'm also reading a book right now uh, by an author that I really, really respect called Resurrecting Jesus. It's almost like the Advaita Vedanta perspective of the Jesus story, as I guess what they're talking about. So it's been like a really amazing and profound journey for me as far as getting back into my studies. And I think that's, that's a good thing. And I think uh, Shannon actually just informed me that it's also Earth Day. So whatever it is that you're doing out there, just try and keep Pachamama or the Earth in mind. Respect nature. It's all around you. Even if you're going for like walking meditation, or if you're enjoying, enjoying the sunlight outside, it's really warm outside right now. So whatever it is that you do, just do it mindfully. Earth Day is a really, really beautiful opportunity to just reconnect with nature. Yeah. So... Without further ado, though, I wanted to get started with this because I, I haven't talked to Shannon in quite some time. She's a dear friend of mine, which I, I really, really respect. She's uh, also a sound healer. So I'm going to go ahead and just introduce her here. So she is the owner of Om Shanti Offerings she, and, and is a holistic health and wellness practitioner. She's got a bachelor's degree in psychology. So that's like some real shit. She knows, <laughs> she knows everything there is to know about Carl Jung and the archetypes, I imagine. So she began her healing journey years ago when she'd first learned different meditation techniques that inspired her to tap into her higher self. Uh, this path of newfound consciousness led her to discover a growing passion for various healing modalities with the intention to bring balance to the body, mind, and spirit, which is always a good thing. She's a certified trauma-informed yoga teacher, sound healer, Reiki master, and board-certified Ayurvedic practitioner. She does all the things. Recognize, this is also recognized by the National Ayurvedic Medical Association, right? She says, no matter where others may be on their healing or spiritual journey, she is honored to hold a safe space for them to continue their spiritual journey through healing. Mm -hmm. That's very, very beautiful. Everybody, it's welcome. Shannon McIntyre. How are you doing, Shannon? Thank you, Eric. I'm doing so good. How are you? I'm doing good. What do you think of that intro? I tried to cover all the bases. It was perfect. <laughs> so, I think you got it. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to cover because you do so many different things. Mm -hmm. I think the best place to start is just the last time we had held space with each other. So Shannon and I are both sound healers and she's actively in the community. She's been in the community for quite some time. She's working at several different yoga studios as a sound healer. She has a really unique approach because she's also a yoga teacher as well. And now she's got this Ayurvedic thing going on. But the last time we saw each other was prior to the pandemic. The world was a very different place back then. I think that was Bhakti Fest 2019 in Joshua Tree, right? Yep. Yeah. So I collaborated, I remember, with Shakti uh, Mayumi during that time. And uh, our, our section of the sound healing piece was called Angelic Dreamscaped. 
and we were doing a sort of like a collaboration of like light language with sound healing. And I remember going and seeing your event and you were doing uh, your own thing. You had your bowls and your gong. And I just remember being a recipient at your sound bath. And I remember it just being really, really beautiful. And so I remember, because I was actually making some video um, mm -hmm. for you. And one thing that I, I do remember when I think back about you being there during that time is that there was this period of time where the sun was setting. And I had this sort of camera with the sunset behind you. Mm -hmm. And it was windy, so you can see this like really beautiful like wind kind of blowing through your air, and you're just in front of this massive gong. And I was just like, wow, this is like a really beautiful moment. Like, yeah. what was that experience for you at Bhakti Fest when you were doing that sound bath? Um, it definitely was beautiful, and um, I definitely felt the bhakti or the love during that moment. Um, also, it's just one of my dreams to provide sound healing for that festival. I just love the what the festival's all about. I love that it's a sober festival. Everyone goes to bed by like 10 PM. Cause that's the time I go to sleep. I remember that. <laughs> and everyone's awake early, like doing yoga or chanting or dancing or singing. And it's just a really high vibe, like beautiful event. And always been just on one of my bucket lists to be able to offer my healing there. So it was definitely like just amazing to be able to do that, especially during golden hour when the sun was setting, um, being under that beautiful tent um, bell structure and yeah, just being able to hold safe space. Yeah, it, it definitely seemed like a, a much more evolved and mature type of crowd. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one thing that was kind of disorienting. I mean, I've had the experience going to LIB and Lucidity and, you know, like the music and everything goes until like 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. You know, and they got that like period of like 3 or 4 a.m. where the music's kind of really fucking weird. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like Bhakti yeah. was like ended really, really early, which mm -hmm. is really great. Like Bhakti, if you guys aren't familiar, is, is a form of devotional yoga. The work that you'd find in Bhakti is like the work of like Ram Das and... Maharaji Ji and things like that, or uh, Nizargardata, that type of thing. So when I was there, you can definitely feel the devotion. There was a lot of uh, kirtan like mm -hmm. workshops there. So it was different for me to to be a part of that. I wanted to ask you though, like, because now we're like fast forward. How would you say that like your sound healing practice has changed between that time in 2019 and now? Um, I would say the main difference is working with the virtual world. Um, so during the pandemic, I was doing just free sound baths on Instagram live. And surprisingly, like if you were just put in some headphones or connected to a Bluetooth speaker, it actually sounded not too bad for being virtual. Um, still doing some virtual sound baths to this very day. So now it's kind of interesting that it's like a hybrid for me. Um, and I'm definitely doing them way more than I was because I've really recently decided to devote my time and um, energy into just fully developing mm. my business and my practice, um, which involves sound healing. So I do about maybe like mm, consistently like three or four a week. Um, and then I'll do like random events. Um, like I have one tonight at as I am yoga in Santa Monica. Um, and then I was just at lucidity festival two weeks ago and I did a sound bath every single day while I was there, which was also another dream of mine. Um, and that was amazing. It's always great just doing it at a festival because you just meet all like these amazing, beautiful people and they're just so appreciative to be able to like just experience the healing vibrations and being able to like offer that. And it's just like such a different energy there and everyone's dressed up and it's just yeah. like super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like very like a very supportive energy there. Like at festivals, it I the word that comes up for my for me when I think about it is just it's it's always like a very unpredictable adventure. Mm -hmm. The one thing about festivals that 
I love, of course, is the community and the energy around it. Everybody's always so supportive. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I find sometimes when you're a sound healer that tends to clash is like sometimes you have music that bleeds from the outside, yeah. right? So it can be kind of, there's that OCD part of me that's like, you want that therapeutic, incomplete silence hearing the sound mm -hmm. of the bowls or the gong. Did you experience any of that where you had like intermingling sounds while you were doing oh, yeah. your practice? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It wasn't in the best location. It was between like two big stages, yeah. but at the same time, like that practice of like becoming comfortable with the uncomfortability yeah. of it and just allowing the bowls to just like still guide you and just like you'll be tuned in either way, whether you're still hearing the bumping bass music in the background. Um, and I also find too, with like a lot of outside noises, like the bowls tend to actually like kind of make it sound like it's part of the sound bath right. after a while. Like yeah. once, you know, you start to kind of like relax into it and open up, it mm -hmm. kind of just like makes it sound like, Oh, like that actually kind of worked <laughs> with, the, with yeah. the sound healing or the sound bath. And you kind of just like tune out the outside noise and tune in. Yeah. And it's good to have like uh, an environment like that, especially at a festival where people can kind of relax mm -hmm. and people can just sort of like rest because yeah. they're spending really long nights like celebrating and th things like that. Yeah. So to have like a, a sound bath the next day, you can just see the willingness in people to like really, really surrender to that experience. Definitely. And that's good. There's, there's no sort of resistance. Like everybody's always so inviting and mm -hmm. so like welcoming of that type of energy. Yeah. And it's like, you can kind of squeeze in like a little nap too yeah. during the day. And then when, when it's at nighttime, it's like, okay, I can just like kind of take a break before like going to see my favorite band or DJ play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a nice like little break to have for sure yeah. like for Bak festival goers. Yeah. Bhakti was one of, one of the most beautiful ones for me because where the stage was where me and you both were, it was kind of far away from any of the sound, like the audio, like the, the, the outside sort of ambient noise. And I remember just, it was this really beautiful and serene environment where like you can look up and you can see the stars and there was just this peace around everywhere and everybody was just so present. So that was beautiful. Aside of, I remember if you remember this, this, uh, but it was very windy there. Yes. Remember when it was really windy? Yes. Yeah. Our, my tent like basically collapsed <laughs> on me like every night. Yeah. Because me, me and Shannon were camped in the same area because we had gone to Bhakti um, kind of together because we were doing mm -hmm. events there. So I remember my tent was next to yours. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was like these periods where like, the wind would, the gusts were so strong and they yeah. blew your tent over and I just, oh, yeah. just hear you in the, the distance be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I remember I had to get out of my tent and like hold one side of your tent so it didn't blow away. So this, this whole, the yeah. whole festival almost seemed like it was just, we were trying to be trying swept to be calm away by the, the wind. Yeah, be calm in the storm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a really, really beautiful experience. But you know, the last time we saw each other, uh, like, like, again, like I said, the world was a very, very different place. Mm -hmm. The pandemic happened. And the one thing that I noticed is that, you know, as a result of the pandemic, a lot of the events that we were used to going to, that we were used to facilitating sound, sound bath events, um, sort of stopped. Yeah. Right. It, it sort of stopped. And we, everybody, I think a lot of us had to kind of think about how we were going to moderate through that. Like you were saying, by moving on to internet based type of sound healing. Mm -hmm. What were, aside of that, like, what were you doing with your time during quarantine? Um, I actually started working for a nonprofit um, that was in the mental health field. So I started doing that um, as a contractor and I was helping out with like medical billing. Um, and then that kind of like turned into me like working like on the administration, administrative side, operations, HR, um, medical billing. And then we were trying to also like once the pan like things started, kind of started coming back into person. We definitely wanted to like incorporate 
um, all the holistic modalities that I could offer. It just uh, didn't end up working out, um, unfortunately, but I still got like a lot of great experience from just learning like the operational side of like running a business, running a nonprofit through that experience, which I'm eternally grateful for. Um, So, so yeah, so that's kind of what I was doing. I was just kind of like working there remotely most of the time um, and the offices in Pasadena. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely like, definitely a lot of learning curves for sure. Um, but things, knowledge that I can take with me as I build my business and build my practice. Okay. Beautiful. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot to go over because you're doing a lot of things. And I wanted to get back to the nonprofit piece because I know you're actually doing some work with hospitals right now too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that because the, the conversation that we had, um, offline was that you were going to now, um, start or you probably have been facilitating sound bath or Reiki type of energy healing for hospitals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've been working with Cedar sinai and Beverly Hills, um, the tower cancer research foundation, um, which is within Cedars. And I started working with them, I think in 2018 to, yeah, for two years before the pandemic, um, every week doing a sound bath yoga class with, um, an amazing yoga teacher and also a dear friend of mine, Alison Crowley. Um, and which I'm going to see next week and I'm really excited. Um, and so we were doing like a co-teaching class and then the pandemic hit. And so now we're still doing that class, but online, Um, so luckily we were able to figure it out with a a lot of trial and error, um, but we're still able to hold that safe space and provide those healing services for the cancer patients, which is amazing. And also the nice thing about it being virtual is patients from all over can join in. Like before it was just, if you're in the LA area, like, you know, you could attend the in-person classes, but now that we're virtual, we have people from different States attending different counties like San Diego who are still part of like the community, um, which is really great. And then in January I did start volunteering at Huntington hospital in Pasadena to do Reiki for nurses and patients. Um, and I have brought in a couple of my little sound healing instruments, but I haven't done like a full sound bath yet because we just started. Um, I am currently taking a sacred pause on that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, just because kind of what I was sharing earlier, like just been going through a lot these past couple of weeks and I don't want to bring that energy onto people who are like really needing the healing because they're, you know, bedridden or in in a hospital, just had surgery. So I'm just trying to be very mindful of that. Um, so kind of just want to work through this mercury retrograde period, um, work through some things and then I'm going to start back up again, providing yeah. Reiki for those patients. Yeah. So the one really um, thing that comes up for me that's, just, I, I think, beautiful is that what we're talking about bridging the connection between modern medicine and spirituality. Because when people think of like Reiki, sound healing, like largely metaphysical type of practices, in, traditionally in the past tend to draw a very specific type of individual on the path in their own spirituality. Now, the conversion um, wasn't so clear maybe years ago, but I feel like nowadays there's sort of like this conversion between people becoming more open to alternative healing modalities that are dealing with some sort of healthcare issue or some sort of health issue. And I think a lot of it has to do with modern medicine failing a lot of people in a lot of ways. So people are turning more towards alternative healing. So what has been your experience in you know integrating Reiki and sound healing into like a modern medicine type of environment? Like how do you... Is there a spiritual component that they're aware of that you're bringing to that? I feel like with the Reiki at Huntington so far, what I've experienced is not more so like 
a spiritual aspect of it, but more so just being able to just kind of take a break from all the noise that's surrounding yeah. them and like what they've been going through and just allow their to, their parasympathetic nervous system to become activated. Cause when we activate the parasympathetic nervous system, our bodies have amazing capabilities to heal itself. But when we're constantly in a state of fight or flight, which is, you know, our society is just naturally like that nowadays. Yeah. Cause it's just like, go, go, go. Right, right. Um, it's hard to come back to that nervous system reset. Yeah. So then we end up, you know, developing potential like disorders and things uh, in the future because we're just always like stressed out and so when you're in a hospital especially like that's really not the most ideal place to spend your time right absolutely um so when i've given reiki to the patients it's really i just see it more as like a relaxing yeah. very like restful type of experience for them and they definitely like notice the difference and then you know are always like oh like I want more, I want more, I want right. more. And I'm like, well, we got more Reiki healers coming your way. Like, yeah. you know, um, cause it's really, they're really short increments. So you visit, you know, there's multiple patients that request the Reiki and you're only there for a couple hours a week. So it's like, you know, 10, 15 minutes per patient. Yeah. But you know, I always advise them, like if you ever want to go deeper, like you should definitely like look into getting, um, like actual Reiki practitioner you could see for like an hour long session who can really dive deep with you. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to do that when it's only such a short amount of time, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also do like a group Reiki sound bath class at yeah. As I Am Yoga in Santa yeah. Monica on Tuesdays. And I think that's also like a beautiful introduction to Reiki for people who aren't too sure what it is. Because um, again, like I'm only doing about like five or 10 minutes on each person. So right. we don't get too, too deep. Right. But then, you know opens up the opportunity for them to want to work with me, um, to go a lot deeper and go tap more into that spiritual component. Yeah. So when you're, when you're working at the hospital and I think that's the perfect way to deliver something like Reiki without mm -hmm. getting too woo woo about it, right? Because yeah. people aren't as familiar with the spiritual aspect of, you know, like the work. So mm -hmm. I think there's gotta be a way. And that's always been the thing that I've always tried to do is like trying to integrate a very practical approach with people that aren't as familiar so that you could spark their interest Totally. So where they naturally gravitate towards that on their own. Mm -hmm. So when you're with people or certain patients, I imagine for some of them, it's a completely new experience. Oh, yeah. Right? So Most. what has been their experience uh, in response to you after getting something like that for the first time? Mm -hmm. I remember my first patient that I did, I was a little nervous because I was like, oh, you know, first yeah. day on the job. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> first patient. Yeah. Um, and he was suffering from like some digestive some pretty bad digestive issues. I'm not sure if that's the reason why he was there. Like, um, and I think that also kind of has something to do with it too, is I don't know why they're there yeah. typically. Like it could be just a range of things. Um, so when I went on, did Reiki on him, I did about 20 minutes and I mostly focused on his gut. And when he like came out of it, he was like, oh, like those heating pads felt so nice on my stomach. And I was like, no, those weren't heating pads. Those were my hands. And those he, were was, your hands. he was like, what? Like, are you yeah. serious? Like he was just like astonished. And he was like, I, can I get your card or your info? And like, I am not able to, to do that um, yeah. as part of the regulations or the policies of the right. hospital. But right. I just, that's when I encourage them to like, you know, I'm sure you can find a Reiki practitioner in your area who could definitely like dive deeper with you. Um, that was like a really cool experience or like feedback to receive. And then another patient that I had, um, she was leaving that day. And again, I'm not entirely sure why she was there, but I could just tell like she needed just like 
I don't know, just like comfort, like just genuine comfort um, with whatever she was going through. And so I spent most of the time just like kind of holding her hand and like brushing her hair a little bit, like just making her feel really safe. Mm. And then um, when we were done with that session and she came out of it, she was crying and she was like, you know, I was like really having a hard day. And then you just, you holding my hand just made me feel like, you know, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And like just getting that feedback is just like, I'm like, this is why I'm here and this is why I'm doing it. Yeah. Like you're helping people. And and the interesting thing about what you're doing in a hospital setting, it's always been like my gripe when it comes to the hospitals is that they're, they're a doctor's sort of job is to keep you alive. Um, and I know that they're not having spiritual conversations with patients, mm-hmm. right? And there's an emotional component to suffering that right. maybe nurses and doctors aren't having with their patients. I worked in hospice for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when you're in hospice, like you're, the inevitability of you passing away is imminent, like it's going to happen. Right. But doctors and nurses, their job is, their only job is to try and keep you alive. So when that, they can't do that anymore, there's nobody there to have these conversations with them. Right, you're dealing with people that are actively working through some type of disease or, and trauma, I'm, or trauma or yeah. something like that. And I'm, I'm, I was working with people that were in the midst of passing away. There's got to be people that have these conversations with them, whether or not it's 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 going into that spiritual element of, you know, everything's going to be okay. There's this other life, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And then in, in in your case, like you're you're there's a spiritual element to how your body moves and how to how to establish health inside of the body. So it's good that somebody like you is in that space because it seems like the people there need more of that. They don't, they don't seem to be getting it from the healthcare setting. Totally. Like you were saying, it's an environment that people don't want to be in already. I have this opinion that like these hospitals should look like little Zen dens, you know, they, they should, should inspire health and wellness, you know? That's what I love about being at Huntington is um, at least for the nurses, like yeah. in, in maternity um, who are like, so just, amazing and just like love getting Reiki because they need it just as much as the patients do, honestly. Um, But they have like an Oasis center in their maternity ward for the nurses to come and they're always playing meditation music. The lights are dim. Um, There's salt lamps on. We have the table in there for Reiki. There's nice comfy chairs and they'll just go in there just to like take a breather for even just like 10, 15 minutes. And it makes such a difference for them because they're on their feet for 12 hours a day, you know, and it's like, to be able to just like get away from all the noise, the fluorescent lighting, like, right. you know, and just be able to like come down and like center and ground is like been really impactful to the point where like, um, the, I don't know, like the head, the person that runs the maternity ward who like created this space for them, like she's getting interviewed by other hospitals because they're interested in implementing something similar yeah. for their nurses as well, which I think is amazing because they definitely need it. Yeah. And that's, it's really beautiful. I work for a health court or work for Kaiser Permanente, which mm-hmm. is a hospital. Mm-hmm. And I'm noticing that they're reaching more into the realm of health and wellness from a more spiritual dynamic as yeah. well. Like they have meditation rooms. Mm-hmm. They have like sometimes alternative healers come in and it's a really beautiful thing. It really does show where our sort of collective as a humanity is gravitating more towards. It's like we cannot afford to not look at the spiritual aspect of the human body and in the human spirit, right. you know, especially, you know, with the energy just being so crazy and chaotic, you know what I mean? So I think it's a really beautiful thing that you're offering your services in that type of setting. When we're like doing sound baths, when we're doing Reiki, for the most part, a lot of the people that come have been in the spiritual community for some time. And I've always been about like, how do we reach out to the people that don't know anything about it, Mm -hmm. but are searching for answers. They're searching for healing. Like 
I think that is the best place is by finding your way into these places and offering your services. So I think that's a really beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. Thank you. Yeah. So you mentioned in your bio that you began your spiritual journey many years ago when you learned about different meditation techniques. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to ask you about what the initial catalyst was for you entering into the realm of spirituality, right? Was this something that began in your childhood uh, or was this something, was there like a specific event that happened in your life that brought you closer to that realm? Mm-hmm, definitely. So, you know, I had my fair share of childhood trauma growing up, but what really was the catalyst for me was um, my near-death experience when I was 17 yeah. years old. Um, right after I graduated high school, we were down in Long Beach. We went to go to a show. It was me and a couple friends. And by the end of the show, um, our friends wanted to grab some in and out across from the venue. Uh So we were like, okay, yeah, let's go. Um, And so we started legally crossing the street. Um, It was late, though. It was like 2 in the morning. Um, So, you know, drunk drivers are out and about on a Saturday night, um, especially on PCH in Long Beach. There's a lot of bars and stuff around there. And so my best friend and I were crossing the street and um, all of a sudden I hear her call my name and I look to my right and I see headlights and it just black. Wow. Yeah. And it hit you. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So I woke up in the middle of the intersection and um, my friend Jordan was standing next to me and I like kind of was like, you know, coming to and I was like, what happened? And he's like, you just got hit by a car. Wow. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, like you just got hit by a car. And yeah. I like, you know, I was on the ground and I like started looking around me and I saw the in and out. I saw the gas stations, you know. And so I like, of course, like and then I kind of started to remember like that I did see headlights coming towards me. And um, I like so I tried to move. I couldn't move. I didn't feel anything. No pain. No pain. It's like a little adrenaline at that. Yeah. Point, maybe. So my first thought was like, "Oh my god, I'm paralyzed!" Like, mm. "Oh my god, I'm 17. Right. I'm paralyzed." Like, what the? F- like, are you serious? Like, this is not happening. Like, I was just in like such shock and disbelief. But like, I yeah, I couldn't feel anything and I couldn't move, not knowing the extent extent of my injuries at that point. Um, and then finally, like paramedics and everyone came and so a cop like came up to me and he was like oh like you know what's your name how old are you like making sure I'm like coherent ask me questions and I just look at him and I was like am I paralyzed and he touched my foot he's like do you feel that and I was like yeah and he's like you're not paralyzed (laughs) and I just like flat like passed out again and then I woke up I remember waking up in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and I was just like what is happening like this is crazy you know um I was definitely like in and out of like coming to and going, just going to sleep, I guess. And then, um, before my parents, my mom and my sister, my grandma were actually out of town at this point. So my best friend's parents were the first ones at the hospital and they were like in the waiting room with us going to go into emergency surgery. And, um, I just remember them like, you know, being there and like just holding me, like comforting me. Um, cause yeah, my, none of my family was there yet. And they're like my second family. So, um, then I remember like being re- going into emergency surgery and my best friend, I think she was coming out or vice versa. I can't really remember. It's a little fuzzy, but yeah. I just remember like passing each other and I was like, Oh, thank God. Like I had no idea what happened to her like yeah. either, you know, I didn't know if she got <laughs> hit or anything. And same here. Like she had no idea what happened to me, which is also like on top of going through that, just not even knowing if like <coughs> your best friend, like what happened to them? Are right. they okay? Yeah. Like, so yeah, so that was definitely like, was the starting point. Um, that healing journey was was intense, um, especially being a 17 year old yeah. and no like 
Instagram didn't exist back then. Netflix yeah. didn't exist back then. Like it was just, yeah. Yeah. So when you were, uh, that sounds like a very, very traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. So when you're faced with something like that quickly, and of course you blacked out, did you have any uh, type of spiritual out of body experience or was this just sheer trauma, traumatic experience that you went through? I think it was just sheer traumatic. Like yeah. I definitely think I, you know, definitely like there definitely something kept me from yeah. going to the other side right. because literally every single nurse and doctor that worked with me, which was a lot of them, yeah. um, were all just astounded how I survived. Like yeah. they literally were like, people get hit by a car just on the corner of a crosswalk and die. Like right. you were literally hit by a drunk driver driving a Range Rover with brush guards on the front of the car wow. yeah. going 50 miles an hour. Yeah. And so, you're but, here, like, yeah. yes, you have a lot of broken bones and some internal damage, but, like, for the most part, like, um, my head and my spine were, like, intact. Everything else broke, but, like, the two yeah. most important body parts that could have, you know, really done, like, way worse damage, like, didn't, you know, every little thing that could have easily gone wrong didn't. Yeah. Um. So I got super, super lucky. So I definitely know that something was watching over me right. and my, my best friend too. I mean, she also got really lucky. Um, and we also got lucky even just having the surgeons that we had at that time, you know, right. being in at Long Beach Memorial Hospital, we're having top surgeons yeah. work on us. Like, like that's even alone is a blessing. Yeah. Being sure. able to like repair the body to where it's like, you wouldn't really be able to tell that anything yeah, ever happened. I, I would have never been able to tell. I mean, you. But I broke a lot of bones yeah. and major bones too, and have so, metal in my body. And for yeah. all intents and purposes, you shouldn't be alive right now. I should not. But you are, and that's yep. you know you hear a lot about you know uh, experiences like that that bring people naturally into the spiritual realm. It's like mm -hmm. traumatic experiences, traumatic upbringings, right? Emotional, physical abuse, things like that. But it, it, it's, it's situations like that that just spark something. Something wakes up inside mm -hmm. and you're looking at life a little differently. It's like yeah. you, 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 you're right there. You became that sort of swinging door between reality and the spirit world. You were so close and you were just like, oh my gosh, I imagine it puts so much more into perspective. I mean, I'm not sure how you were prior to that experience, but it's like a newfound appreciation for totally. life, mm -hmm. knowing like how easy it can be taken away from you totally. just in an instant. Yeah, I was definitely a little troublemaker before. Um, <laughs> and I think just that came with growing up with my own childhood traumas and, you know, just acting out, being a teenager, like making really dumb decisions yeah. and um, not really caring and just like, you know, getting suspended from school and like yeah. just being a little a bad little kid yeah. um, and like not getting good grades and stuff and just having that experience like at such a young age too is like just really crazy how much my perspective on life shifted and so much more than like the even the like my I mean it did affect my close friends and family too but like you know like pe groups of people that I hang out with like we were just on such different levels after that you know because like you're still we're still so young and like your brain is developing and you're just still right. figuring life out and learning like yeah. you know as you go and then most people don't ever have a huge perspective shift like that yeah um, and it's crazy because in the beginning it seems like uh, a lot of people have trouble with revisiting traumas like that but yeah once you tread into that sort of spiritual domain and you've been on this path for quite some time when I retroactively look back at let's just say a traumatic childhood mm -hmm. or a traumatic experience or a near-death experience, you realize now just 
based off of your evolution in spirituality, how much of a, a, a catalyst that was. And then I look back at that in gratitude. Yeah. Right. And it makes you wonder, like, you must have obviously chosen this prior to coming into this life. There's like everybody has that one little opportunity or maybe several where like spirit or source intervenes into your life and sort of shakes you up out mm-hmm. of your sleep. Mm-hmm. And then from that moment on, that's when that journey starts. Because mm-hmm. I imagine right after that experience happened, you became a completely different person and that got oh, yeah. you down the path that you were going on. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So out of that, what made you want to become a healer? Of course, like, you know, it's one thing to practice spirituality for your own well-being, uh, but what inspired you to share it with others through healing? Mm-hmm. Um, I think just like all the all the things I had to deal with, like being on that healing journey alone and like just kind of realizing like, wow, it would have been like, you know, now realizing like, imagine if I had someone by my side who was where I'm at today, who mm-hmm. could have been helping guide me through that whole process. And like, you know, I at first, of course, was like angry and like upset. Like I had to learn how to walk again. Like I lost all my muscle in my body. I had to learn how to pee Mm -hmm. again because I had a catheter in my bladder for so long. You know, I couldn't even pee on my own. Like I couldn't shower on my, like all those little things that we take for granted that we don't realize. Like I couldn't shower by myself, like being wheeled around in a wheelchair for months and being so young. And then like people like judging, like looking at me and like, I've literally remember like I would be, my parent, mom would take me to the mall and just wheel me around and get me out of the house. And people would literally be like, like I looked like nothing happened, you know? So like people would literally have the audacity to like say like, why are you in a wheelchair? Like (laughs) it doesn't look like you even have any like thing wrong. And it's like, if only you knew, like I'm literally with two broken bones and a broken pelvis right now. Like and a catheter in my, yeah, yeah. And like a broken shoulder, broken hand, broken ribs. Like, you want to go? Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's pretty crazy. Like, um, and then just, yeah, walking around, like learning how to walk with like a walker and like, you know, dealing with like the embarrassment, feeling embarrassed about that. And like, you know, I think just it would have been nice to have some sort of like guidance, like moving through this. Right. Um, I'm still, even to this day, this happened 2010 and it's 2023. It's th- been almost 13 years in July. And like, I'm still dealing with the traumas of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just because like in the beginning healing, like I just didn't really have, I didn't know how to deal with it. You know, yeah. um, I also was hopped up on so many painkillers and pain medicine. Um, so that was alone getting off of that was like a journey of itself. Um, the only, the only type of, like the only person that I had that was like, kind of like a guide was a, uh, an occupational therapist. And she would come to my house every week and just kind of just be real with me and, you know, and like, let me just vent to her. And like, and she would share her stories with me of like her other patients and like, kind of that helped put into perspective for me. Like, you know, this sucks right now, but like, I'm going to be okay. eventually. like, eventually I'm going to be able to walk again. Eventually I'm going to be able to shower by myself again and like use a toilet and, you know, not be stuck in a bed. But like she had patients that were my age that were, that were paralyzed from the uh, neck down who would never be able to do that again, you know? And it was just, again, like just things out of their control for reasons why that happened to them. Yeah. So I think that really helped. Like that was really the only like kind of solace I had during that moment or during that time, like, I'm going to get through this. But I only met with her a couple times, and then for some reason, like, they switched the person on me, and that lady, the new lady that I got, I was yeah. like, oh, we no, didn't vibe no. as well. Same, yeah. yeah, she was, you know, she tried, but so yeah. that I didn't have a lot of, 
like that kind of like those moments to be able to like just you know kind of right. have someone help me with that so right. kind of just had to do it on my own and of course like I thankfully had like a lot of support from friends and family but it's different you know like right. they're not trained in that kind of right. thing so um I, that that kind of just really inspired me and I just you know always would ponder like there's definitely there's something there's more out there like there's yeah. more to this life you know so that's really what started me getting kind of like curious about that stuff like I didn't grow up with any sort of like spiritual practice or anything or any religion really mm -hmm. um so it was all really new to me and then one of my ex-boyfriends his mom was actually the one that kind of got me really like like that introduced me to all this this whole world of healing yeah and like I was like, whoa. And I felt just like it really resonated with me, like on such a deep soul level. Mm. I was like, I got to explore this. And I was still pretty young at that point too. Um, so I started with like, she would host meditation circles every week. So I would go to those. Um, and she would also host uh, in these meditation circles, like a Diksha practice. So Diksha, uh -huh. I don't know. Do you know what Diksha is? I don't know. So that was kind of my first intro to like any sort of energy healing, um, but originated in India and it's a kind of like Reiki, but you just focus more on like the head, like the crown chakra, okay. um, third eye chakra. So like more like upper body. Um, and it's kind of more like that, like quantum touch, I think too, like just focuses yeah. more on like the upper yeah. chakras. Um, so become like a Diksha giver, like you would, she, well, she would do these meditation circles and then Diksha givers would go around and then like place their hands on each person and then kind of just like, you know, be that channel for like healing to come through from yeah. the divine. So after doing that with her for some time, I was like, I want to be a Diksha giver. So yeah. then she like hosted a all day training for, for us. And it was like, that was really my first like introduction to like spirituality and spiritual practice. Cause like, yeah, we fasted, we chanted for yeah. hours. Like it was pretty yeah. intense for being like, it was a full day of <laughs> right. it, you know? Um, but it was so worth it because that just like really opened me up to all these opportunities and then like started getting into yoga, which then turned into like Reiki and then, you know, yeah. kind of sound healing. Right. Um, actually, my first sound bath was at Lucidity a while ago. I can't remember exactly the year, but like yeah. or like 2014 or yeah. something like that. Um, and it was with Shane, who's spirit medicine on yeah. um, Instagram. And yeah, so I just felt really inspired after attending one of his sound baths. And I was like, again, it, something that really resonated with me. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And so I just like kind of made it happen and yeah. I've been doing it ever since. Um, yeah. And then throughout this journey, like Ayurveda came into my life. Um, when I was working at an essential oil store, I kind of started to learn about like all the different plants and their healing properties and the oils um, which was inspired by Ayurveda. So that was kind of like, Ooh, like this sounds cool. And like, I looked more into it and it just kind of felt like the overarching umbrella of like everything yeah. I was already doing. And right. I was like, Ooh, this is really interesting. So I like yeah. knew I wanted to eventually like go to school for it or something, you know? Yeah. And like, I would look up, um, different schools online and like everything was either like online or like really far away. And I was like, Oh, that's like not going to work for me right now. Um, I really wanted to go like in person. And so I decided to just go to CSUN, get my bachelor's degree and like focus on that. Uh -huh. And then I was kind of like, okay, like graduated with my bachelor's. Now I could either go into my master's or maybe try like Ayurveda again. But then instead, literally a month after I graduated uh, CSUN, I started my yoga teacher training. And then that's yeah. when I was, Ayurveda came back into my life again. Yeah. And um, we had a 
Ayurveda practitioner come and she like did a whole day workshop on Ayurveda and like um, introduced like what school she went to. And I was like, oh, like I'm going to look this up and ended up being Southern California University of Health Sciences in Whittier. Uh And which is like, you know, not too far from from L.A. um, or where I'm where I live in L.A. And um, so that I was like, ooh, like this is definitely possible. So I applied and it was a in person originally and then got accepted, but didn't start till 2020. Yeah. Right when the pandemic happened. Oh, wow. So then, um, yeah, I got accepted, I think around when we were at Bhakti Fest, like September yeah. and I was like, so excited for yeah. this journey. And then, yeah, pandemic hit. So then we still, still did the school, but it was mostly all online. So, yeah. um, yeah, but it was definitely like still really impactful and yeah. learned, learned so much. It's such like an amazing, beautiful science yeah like when i think of everything that you're saying i just think of like carl jung's archetype of the wounded healer right mm-hmm. where we're like we experience some something very traumatic naturally there's just some sort of once that kind of draws you down your spiritual path you naturally just develop this compassion and wanting to share it with others mm-hmm. through healing because it's like you were saying you were in the hospital and you had this one woman that didn't have to sit there and, and share space with you right. like didn't have to sit there and make you feel better but those are the things that we need in 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 these type of facilities that mm-hmm. tend to be missing. And, and that's yeah, and that's honestly what inspired me to want to get into the hospitals too yeah. because I want to be able that person that holds space even if it's for like 10 minutes, 10 15 minutes, like yeah. you know, it, it really does make a difference in their in the healing capacity of us and then just being able to do like the sound healing every week still mm-hmm. like it just you know, it's just there's so much just love and gratitude from right. both ends, yeah. like from being able to facilitate and then for receiving. And it's just like such a beautiful yeah. you know, it, thing it, to be in. Yeah. It translates to the spiritual journey really well too, because a lot of people find themselves in the realm of this sort of spiritual community and they also need that type of help and assistance from other people, yeah. which is why you're a healer, right? Because it can feel like you're like Christ in the desert sometimes, especially when you're experiencing the spiritual path is not, it's not an easy thing to go down, especially when you're going through these sort of dark night of the soul experiences where you're purging mm-hmm. trauma, you're mm-hmm. purging a lot of negative energy, you're developing this new sense of self. There's like a period of time where you kind of feel lost sometimes. Yeah. And so it really, really helps for someone like you or a healer to be guidance for them. Because it's not as obvious where to go at that point, right. especially when like your ego is just sort of broken in two and you're left with, you're, you're just sort of like this really sensitive in a very vulnerable space. We need people that are like that, that are able to hold space mm-hmm. and help them along their journey and showing them sort of what to do. Exactly. And I wanted to kind of talk about the sound healing a little bit because mm-hmm. you've been doing that for a long time. And for those that aren't familiar with sound healing, can you just provide kind of like a brief insight as to what it is and how you use it? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so sound baths are sacred healing journeys um, that work with the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies. Um, typically in a sound bath, instruments are used that are tuned to a frequency of 432 hertz, which is the frequency of like just our natural vibration. Um, so I use sound healing bowls or crystal singing bowls, um, gongs, chimes, um, Tibetan bowls as well. Um, and yeah, it's just really like being able to bring your body back into balance. And again, like activating that parasympathetic nervous system so that we are able to just like let go and breathe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of people also like realize, don't even realize like 
they could be working through some like deep rooted traumas mm -hmm. and then they'll come out of the sound bath and be like, whoa, I had like such crazy visualizations. Like I don't even know what it means, but you know, that provides an opportunity to go maybe journal about it. And then you kind of can discover like, oh, I forgot that that happened to me when I was a child. And that's why I'm react this way when certain things I get triggered by certain things, yeah. you know? So it really provides that loving healing space um, to work through those through those traumas. And then sometimes you don't, and sometimes you just need to rest. And like, yeah, sometimes people fall asleep, but usually they end up needing, needing that. So it's, yeah. what's amazing is like, it's going to be different for every single person. And it's really just honoring where you're at, honoring your mm -hmm. body at that time. And, you know, noticing if you have any shifts from it or any insights or observations that you want to take with you. Yeah. And just really, you know, using that as like an anchor to, as you like move throughout the rest of your day or, you know, throughout life is just, um, yeah, there's something really beautiful about like a bunch of people coming together for a very similar cause too, right? Yeah. One thing about sound baths that I've always found really beautiful is that like people are coming together and placing themselves into one of the most vulnerable positions that they could be in, which is this, the position of sleep, right? Mm -hmm. They're laying on their backs. Typically we're only doing that when we're at home in our beds. Like right. sleep is a very intimate experience for most people right? We don't have access to people's bedrooms. That's what they do when they're home. Mm -hmm. So when people come together in a sound bath, you're getting 30, 40, 100, however so many people together that are all deciding and making a decision to place themselves in the most vulnerable position that they could be in mm -hmm. and surrender to the experience. And there's got to be a really humbling experience, at least from your perspective. It is for me because okay. you have this moment where like you're looking over the group of people that are there laying on their backs. You're the one facilitating this experience of just pure sound and also being a recipient at the same time. Totally. It's definitely an energy exchange. Yeah, definitely an energy. Because I remember when I used to do sound baths, sometimes I would get emotional. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've literally had out-of-body experiences doing sound baths yeah. and I'd have to like bring myself back. I'm like, yeah. wait, wait. And that's why I love incorporating like the gongs or like Tibetan bowls or something that's a little bit of a deeper, like kind of like, abrupt sound because yeah, it kind of like yeah it kind of helps like bring you back to like the present moment because it is really easy you know when if you're just listening to the bulls to drift off which For is sure. great but like you also want to try to remain somewhat present as well because yeah. you know you want to you want to be aware of what healing is going on you want to have that self-awareness yeah. and even as the sound facilitator too it's like yeah. we need to be super super present and 100%, like yeah. and like aware of like the energy of everyone else in the room you know it's like true. not yeah. every sound bath is going to be the same played the same because yeah. everyone's energies are going to be contributing to it in some sort of way yeah it's a very intuitive process mm -hmm. and, and it's good that you do that like i'm a libra i'm an air sign and i'm like in the clouds all the time like i have to even during my meditations like i i'm prone to having these sort of outer body astral projection type of experiences and sound for me Mm -hmm. especially I've always been very sensitive to sound when it's done a certain way. I can feel myself leaving my body. Like I can feel that lightness come through. So it, it, I have to like work on grounding myself. So same thing with me when I do sound baths, sometimes I just, I feel that little feeling. I feel it down here in my, my heart chakra. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like this, like this, this warmth comes and I'm like, Oh, I can't just drift off here. This <laughs> is the right space to do that. And then you work towards the gong and mm -hmm. the gong, the gong tends to do that. Right. It's like this big, this, this, huge primordial force that's like really good at grounding so it's yeah. good like to, to that you're able to like intuitively incorporate like the bowls are usually very up in the sky like totally. very very heavenly mm -hmm. and then like reading where the energy is bringing it back down with the gong and that's why it's such a beautiful practice because you're having to just there's this this reciprocal toroidal field that happens between you and your recipients 
and that inspiration from source is kind of coming through you and you're just sound healing is beautiful <laughs> it's a very beautiful thing one Brilliant. one of the most beautiful things about it is because it doesn't have a story right there's nothing that the ego can impose on it it's just pure sound right you sometimes just, you don't even know where it's coming from exactly and you just have to be with it at the end of yeah. the day you know yeah it's your yeah. mind, your mind tries to like dissect everything that's yeah. going on, but then after like twenty minutes, you're, you're out, like <laughs> yeah. you're gone because it's activating those brain waves right. that put you in that really deep meditative state. So yeah. it's like at some point you just like are like, whoa, where, where do I go? Where am I? Okay. Yeah. You know, sometimes you go really deep in, and sometimes you go like outside your body, and so it's really yeah. just beautiful and just allowing it to happen. Just allowing it to happen. Like it's one thing when you're like in it, laying on your back as a recipient, but like. Like me and you, you're standing, you're literally sitting directly in front of a massive gong. Mm-hmm. So like you feel it in the way that the other people maybe don't. Right. So I, sometimes when I'm sitting in front of the gong and I'm playing it, I'm just like start feeling tears going down my face. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's so yeah, it's intense. Such a, yeah, it's such a beautiful instrument. Yeah. So do you, do you, um, do you have any, uh, thing that you prefer using when you're doing sound baths? Like, do you, do you prefer using the bowls or the gong or is it all just one? It's all just one. Just one thing. Yeah. I absolutely love sound healing. It's a really mm-hmm. beautiful practice. And that's kind of how me and you met. Right. You know what I mean? We were part of that, that same sort of community. So it's, it's, it's really beautiful, of course, to, yeah. to have collaborated with you and, and to, to see how much you've grown along mm. your journey. Because you're doing a lot of stuff now, right? Yeah. We wanted just, I wanted to just segue this into Ayurveda because this seems yeah. to be like the, the main thing that's on your plate right now. I see a lot of your posts on IG, see a lot of like the content that you post. Mm-hmm. And you're doing a lot of offerings. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, just to kind of, before we go over the Ayurvedic piece, can you kind of explain exactly what Ayurveda is? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Ayurveda is a holistic and ancient science. Um, it has existed for thousands of years um, on the eastern side of the world. And it uses the body, mind, and spirit as a whole. Um, it also focuses on like preventative care and it's really, really big on digestive and gut health, which is something us in a Western society are starting to realize and understand the gut is literally the second brain. Yeah. Um, and it also is a very disciplined and philosophical science. So, um, really centered around like self-love and self-care and discipline is the highest form of self-love. Um, and it's also a proponent for longevity by using diet, herbs, and lifestyle, body therapies, and daily and seasonal routine per, like for that individualized person. So yeah. it's very individualized. Every, it understands that every single person is different on their own journey, and it's all about getting to the root cause of the problem mm-hmm. versus like putting a Band-Aid on it, right. you know? So it's Which like, is our healthcare industry right totally. now. Totally. Yeah, right. it's like, oh, you suffer from headaches. Let me write you a prescription for whatever. Painkillers. Yeah, but like in Ayurveda, we're going to be like, well, why are you getting the headaches? You know, like how can we change your daily routine to avoid you getting these headaches? Okay, you work on a computer for 10 hours a day. Well, let's see, like. That's what I do. Yeah. I'm like, well, can you? I'm listening. Listen to what you're saying. (laughs) Like, okay, then something like that, I would introduce like, so maybe some eye yoga or like, okay, why don't we, you know, put some alarms on your phone so you take a break every like, 50 minutes for like five minutes and do some eye yoga, give your eyes a break, you know, wear those uh, blue light lenses, like all these little easy things that we could incorporate into our daily routine that really have a tremendous impact on our overall health now and in the future. Yeah. And I like how you're saying it's very specialized, mm-hmm. right? And, and again, I work in healthcare, I work for Kaiser Permanente. I think they're, they're making strides and 
paying attention to what you're talking about. I, I'm not surprised if at some point in like the next few years, Ayurveda doesn't come into the field with that. Because if you're not getting that information from the, from at least a hospital, there are people scouring the internet looking for alternative like ways of healing. Yeah. And luckily we have a lot of organizations in the U S that are yeah. fighting to have it be a licensed practice. Yeah. Um, so there's the national Ayurvedic medical association, um, which is where I'm certified through them and then, um, and my school. And then there's also a California association of Ayurvedic medicine. Like there's a one in Colorado, one in yeah. Texas, like these organizations that are groups of people that really truly believe in this, science and the system and are coming together and fighting to make it a licensed practice. And, you know, I really do also feel that way too. I really feel like within the next 10 years, it will definitely be a licensed doctorate practice. And the school that I went to is already prepping for that, like by creating like the content. And, um, so us as alumni who want to go and get our doctor in Ayurveda, it's like, boom, easy, you know, which is definitely like, once that happens, like I'm there. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a licensed practice in India where it originated from. So it's like, normal to be like an Ayurvedic licensed doctor in India and work in an Ayurvedic hospital that's all Ayurveda. Yeah. Versus like here, it's like just slowly trickling it into the healthcare system. Yeah. I remember seeing a documentary a long time ago about this guy that practiced Ayurveda. And he and it wasn't about this specific person. It was about like Surimana Maharshi, the, the sage of Arunachala. But he was this, he was just like some dude that lived in just this hut. And he just had access to all these herbs and these spices. Mm-hmm. And people would go to him whenever something was wrong. And from what this documentary was saying, he was able to heal, like successfully heal and cure a lot of these sort of ailments. I think it was diabetes. I think it was like forms of cancer just through the use of herbs, mm-hmm. you know? And that's something that like, I don't think like in the West, we've gone over the bureaucracy of the the healthcare system, which is the first thing that comes to my mind is the reason why Ayurvedic maybe hasn't, found its way into the system is because you have corporations that love to patent things, right? They love to patent medicines. And it's the same issue they run into when it comes to marijuana. You can't patent a plant. So I imagine maybe that's some of the reason why Ayurveda, you know, hasn't been widely accepted in these sort of corporate settings is because you're working with herbs, like you're working with spices and plants. plants. Yeah. And you can't just patent those things. Yeah. So and where's also, the money for them? Exactly. Yeah. It's all about money at the end of the day, I think at least. Yeah. Um, for sure. Because, yeah, because the point of these holistic practices is to, you don't, as an Ayurvedic practitioner, you don't want your patients to come and keep coming back to you. Like you want yeah. to be able to give them the tools for them to like, of course, you're their, you're their support and their guide on their right. journey to a certain a point, but you want them to get better to actually like not have to rely on whatever maybe Western medicine they are using in order to like manage their disease. Like you're working to get it. Like you don't have to, you know, you eat the right foods, take the right herbs, do the right lifestyle changes. Like that's the goal, you know, um, versus like, yeah, like just taking a prescription, popping a pill every morning and and, and just still suffering and, and and then potentially getting other issues from that, like down the road versus like things like Ayurveda, like that doesn't happen. Yeah. And it seems like in order to really, really be able to successfully treat somebody, you have to be able to like, there's got to be a loving and compassionate component to it, but that is willing to spend time on understanding not only somebody's just physical self, but their, their spiritual side. Like what is it in them that is causing them to, be sick 
or develop these unhealthy patterns. And the, the healthcare system nowadays doesn't do that. I was reading this book by Marion Williamson called From Cheers to Triumph about the overprescribing of SSRI mm-hmm. antidepressant medications to children, mm-hmm. right? To, to kids that are kids automatically, like you were saying prior to 17, you were, causing, you were causing chaos. Yeah. yeah, All kids go through that. Mm-hmm. They go through depression. They go through sadness. Their brains are developing. They're clashing with the system that doesn't, it doesn't accommodate their innocence. And so what do we do? We don't accept that as a part of the growing process. We just slap them with antidepressants. Mm -hmm. 15, 14 years old, these are kids that are starting at the gate taking pills that they end up relying on during a process in which they're developing. And you're absolutely right. Like you were saying, like true healthcare is healing somebody so that they don't come back, keep coming back to you. Yeah. And I imagine Ayurveda, like you're saying, is is really set to to cure from the inside out, not from the outside in. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you can talk a little bit about how you do that. There was one thing that I remember reading up about doshas a little bit. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what those are? Definitely. Um, So I probably will want to start with like even before the doshas. Okay. Okay. um, So Ayurveda, like what I was saying earlier, is a very philosophical science. Um, And with it being Earth Day, we can kind of talk about the the five elements, Earth being one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So according to Ayurveda, humans are a microcosm of of nature. So that means that um, the five elements, Earth, water, fire, air, and space, are not only present in all matter, but also humans as well. And they're also the building blocks in Ayurveda. Um, And they also all have their own special properties as Mm -hmm. well. And they build upon each other. So with the lightest being space to the most dense being the earth. Mm -hmm. So space has qualities of light, smooth, soft, clear, minute. Mm -hmm. And it resides in the body cavities and passages such as like the mouth and the nose. Okay. And because of space, we can separate various objects well, then space turns into air, um, which is responsible for all movement in nature. Mm-hmm. And it has properties of light, rough, clear, minute, and it's accountable for all body activities. Uh-huh. And then going into fire is responsible for all metabolic processes and is the main source of energy in nature. And yeah. its properties are light, rough, sharp, and clear. And in the body, it creates heat, luster, and digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, then moving into water. So water is essential for sustaining life. Um, and it has a cooling effect and it has properties of heavy, fluid, soft, cold, and dense. Yeah. So in the body, it represents our body fluid and secretions. Um, and, you know, we're also made up of like 60% water. Right. Um, and then going into earth. So earth maintains life and stability in nature. So it has properties of heavy, rough, hard, and slow. So in the body, it makes up the bones, tissues, and the muscles. Yeah. So all five of these elements um, are present in every individual, but some can be more present than others. Yeah. So keeping them in balance is what's important for like maintaining health. Yeah. Um, and when one element is increased, it can cause an imbalance. So like the earth element, because it represents like um, density, like tissues and muscles in the body. If someone has too much earth in their body, it could cause like obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if someone has more of like a fire element in them, then they can suffer from like things that are like, you know, maybe... Uh, like too much heat in the body, yeah. um, things like that. So it's like understanding in your body where these elements are elevated and then under like figuring out how to like bring them back into your, their natural state or natural balance, which is yeah. like what Ayurveda does. So Ayurveda yeah. is a, um, is a balancing science. So yes. it's like, like increases like and opposites decrease, which makes sense because like when we're cold and uncomfortable, 
we'll do whatever it takes to get warm and get comfortable, right? right? We, we balance ourselves out by inviting that heat into the body and vice versa. When we're hot, we'll, you know, we'll go jump in a cool pool or take a cold shower, drink a cold drink, something to help kind of bring that heat back down to its like natural, comfortable state. So that's like what Ayurveda is all about. Um, and again, you know, according to Ayurveda, we are part of nature. Right. So it's important for us to be in sync with nature as well. So like right. when the seasons change and the different um, rhythmic changes throughout the day. So that's like one building block, like kind of yeah. like the foundation. Um, and then going into the, the qualities. So there are 20 qualities in Ayurveda. Um, and each one of us has a specific like makeup of these different qualities and different variations, which is what makes us like unique individuals. Um, and it's referred to as the gunas in Sanskrit. The gunas? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a fun yeah. Word. It's a fun word to say. Yeah. The gunas. Yeah. So, um, you know, so when it comes to balances and imbalances in the body, we want to focus on like these 20 gunas or 20 qualities, which can be found in everything like uh -huh. foods, plants, herbs, minerals, vitamins. Uh -huh. Um, and then depending on the qualities of the substance, they can either cause us to be more in balance or out of balance. Uh -huh. Um, and so some examples can be like heavy and light, cold and hot, which we kind of just talked about oily, dry, dull, yeah. sharp. So things like that. So when it comes to the doshas, the doshas are like these 20 qualities split up basically. Uh -huh. So, um, so when it comes to like Vata dosha, for instance, so vata has the elements of air and space and the qualities of light, cold, and dry. Uh -huh. um, so someone who has like a vata body constitution tend to be like tall and thin, um, more thin, dry, rough, like cold skin, uh -huh. um, just more dryness in the body or coldness in the body. So in order to balance out the vata dosha, um, you want to invite in more qualities that are like going to be warm or heavy or oily or dense, you know? So that kind of like helps bring it back into nat its natural state. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times, like you can have your, you know, everyone has like about two primary doshas, like pretty much one and then another and then another. Yeah. Um, and so like a Vata person can have Vata imbalances from their Vata dosha being too high in the body. So, and then just, or if you're just like a Vata person in general, you definitely want to make sure you're like doing things daily to help kind of like keep your Vata dosha from getting out of balance. Yeah. This seems like, it, I, I, I like caring and, and, and taking care of plants. Mm -hmm. I love plants, right? I love the way that they, they, they look. There's like a, it brings a beautiful liveness to the space. But the one thing about plants is you have to take care of them a certain way. Yeah. Sometimes they need water. Sometimes you need to change the soil. What you're talking about sounds a lot like that. Only the plant is the human body, right? Mm -hmm. It's like really, really integrating with the, the, the natural aspect of who you are. It does contain all of those elements. Plants have water. They're made up of earth. They can be a little finicky. Mm -hmm. If you overwater them, they get all fucked up and like mm -hmm. the, the, the roots can, can rot. That's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of yeah. like taking care of a plant. Definitely. I mean, we're plants with complicated emotions. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Complicated emotions. I like that. Yeah. And like plants, I do think that plants communicate, but human beings, like when we're not feeling well, we have this tendency of communicating it through all these various different types of ways. But I don't know what you're talking about. It, it establishing this sort of balance, this homeostasis, mm -hmm. which is what we're trying to do with the earth. Right. Right. Like whenever we have too much carbon monoxide or whenever we 
you know, like uh, global warming is like a huge thing. And all this involves like us being uh, a little irresponsible with our environment, not taking care of our space, taking Mm -hmm. care of earth. What you're talking about is like taking care of the body. Yeah. Right. And we are part of nature. So it kind of like ties it all back to like, yeah, what you're just saying. It's like taking care of like the earth and our environment, but also like our, our internal environment as well. Yeah. Um, And then, so when it comes to like, a pitta dosha, for instance, like, so pitta has elements of fire and water and its qualities are oily, sharp, hot, and light. So like a pitta person can be more prone to like getting acid reflux because there's already naturally too much heat in the body. Uh Um, so again, like, you know, wanting to counteract those, um, those two, those elements when they're elevated and those qualities when they're elevated to a balanced state, like whatever you're born with. So Uh like, you know, you're, you're, born with your doshas and in their most like balanced state. And then as we like grow older and we're exposed to different toxins and things like that, like, you know, it all comes out of balance. So it's just becoming aware of like, Hmm, like, you know, when I eat this one thing, like I don't feel good because I've like, you know, get acid reflux or like, or, you know, when we eat something spicy, like our bodies get hot naturally because it's heat. Like we're activating that heat element in the body. So someone who already has a lot of heat in them, like probably shouldn't eat spicy food, you know, but we do it anyways. Um, usually. So, so how do you decide on what somebody's dosha is? Like Um, when you have, say I'm like somebody that is coming to you as a, as a, a patient of a Ayurvedic practitioner. Um, how would you determine what somebody's dosha is? Um, through a consultation, initial yeah. consultation, um, just really getting deep, doing a deep dive into like the person, just, you know, like what they're first coming to you for. Like yeah. you can totally see an Ayurvedic practitioner just for wanting to just like maintain health, you know, yeah. you don't have to have anything crazy going on. Yeah. Um, and then just like asking them certain questions, you kind of start to understand like, um, you know, what their dosha, their primary dosha is, and then yeah. where some, imba- like what their imbalances are. So yeah. you can be like a vata person with pitta imbalances yeah. or vata person with vata imbalances. Yeah. So then it's like, you, it's important to know both. So you know how to ba- counteract and balance them. Um, mm-hmm. And then also just like everyone, like the pitta person um, tends to be like a more medium build, like more warm and moist skin, um, increased appetite, sensitive to heat, you know? So it's like knowing these kinds of qualities again, coming back to the qualities um, helps you like, okay, like, you know, you kind of seems like your, your pitta dosha is like your primary one. So, you know, and then it makes sense because you're coming to me saying that you have, you know, acid reflux or I know I keep using that example, but like that's right. just what keeps coming to my mind. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of people like a lot of people do come to you with that, that kind of yeah. stuff. So it's like you're relying on them because people, the expectation is that understand their bodies and what they're going through. So if mm-hmm. someone comes to you, they probably already know what they're going through. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm getting the stomach upset or like I'm, you know, I, I'm somebody that works on my computer all the time or I'm, I feel a lot of tension in my back or like mm-hmm. I have tr- trouble digesting certain things. Automatically, you know, Exactly. What doshas to kind of place them into. Exactly. So like if someone's coming to me for digestive issues because they have a lot of like gas and bloating, I'm like instant vata imbalance yeah. because vata, um, all the doshas have their own like responsibilities as well or functions. Yeah. So like, again, going back to like air, air and space kind of be, or air being responsible for like movement, um, vata being made up of air and space. So vata's function is movement. Um, so, you know, if you're like, there's a lot of gurgling going on, it's like, okay, that's like vata's imbalance. So like, let's, what can we invite into the body that can help 
ease that. And you have like a really good advantage in this point because you're also a yoga teacher. Yeah. So right? that's, what's great too, is like, I can also bring in all these other healing right. modalities to help, um, just be a, like more support for the, the client. So like, not only am I able to like recommend diet changes, lifestyle changes and herbs, but like, you know, if someone is coming to me with really bad back pain, like there's definitely herbs that can help with that. And then I also, I can, you know, teach them different yoga poses that can also help relieve back pain or, yeah, you know, whatever else is going on with them physically like that. So what you're saying is you're basically like a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> you're like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. You I just mean... have like a little, little wizard hat and your little sack full of like herbs and, and plants and yeah, pretty like, much. A, a, like a medicine woman pretty much. Yeah. I mean, my kitchen definitely has a lot of herbs in it. Just, yeah. You know, I remember going on your, your Instagram and seeing some of your, your videos where like you are, I imagine once you die, like once you, are able to know what dosha they are. Mm -hmm. Then you put together some sort of plan, I imagine. Some, yes. some, some uh, I mean, it looked like you were putting a tincture together mm -hmm. or like putting a, a blend of different spices together. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing there? Yeah. Um, so that video specifically, I think someone came in with um, a lot of like back pain and back swelling. So again, instant thought is like, okay, vata dosha imbalance because vata um, usually is like responsible for like, it's, and again, like, it's also like if someone comes in for pain, it's like understanding what kind of pain as well. So like a sharp pain, yeah. you would think more pitta because it has sharp qualities, but like a dull pain or, you know, something like that could be like more vata. Yeah. Um, so what they were going through, it was like more of like, I think a vata pain. Um, so it was just like knowing the different herbs that help balance vata dosha mm -hmm. um, and also like get to the root of that, you know, that problem. Like, right. so back swelling. Okay. Like, you know, knowing what kind of herbs help with swelling and then, yeah. um, knowing what kind of herbs help with pain and then also what kind of herbs will help with the vata dosha imbalance. Yeah. So coming from my experience with this, and I don't know anywhere near as much as what you know, but I, I know enough to get by. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're talking about inflammation and the one thing that I know have, that has worked for me is turmeric. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, like I say, I, I, I sit a lot, you know, and sometimes I get that sort of back pain and get some inflammation and turmeric really helped with that. But I also know a woman that had chronic pain. Like she had it all over her body. She was an older woman. She came in, came to me one time. Of course, I'm a sound healer. I don't know everything, but sometimes they come up to you and ask you questions, non-related, yeah. like stuff like that. And I was like, well, why don't you try turmeric? Cause she was on like pain medication and it was making her sick. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why don't you try turmeric? It's really good for inflammation. It seems to work for me. She started taking it really, really helped her out. Yeah. So turmeric, I imagine, is one of those things that you also use. Mm -hmm. So it's something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, yeah, turmeric's great. Um, but again, like, you also want to be careful when taking herbs because yeah. herbs also have their certain properties and mm. qualities. Yeah. So um, turmeric is more heating. So someone okay. with, as a pitta person, the turmeric might end up actually, like, not really helping them because yeah. it might end up creating too much heat in the body. Oh, okay. Um, so depending also on, like, the, the ways you take the herbs, the different times of day, yeah, it's all, like, you know, you want to intentionally ta be taking your herbs right. and really understanding like, why am I taking them? You know, yeah. like a lot of people know that ashwagandha is like great for so many different things, but right. doesn't mean it's one or one size fits all. Like it's not great for certain people and depending on their goals as and, well. And, and you can find ashwagandha, especially nowadays in everything. Anywhere. Yeah. Pretty much. Like lion's mane, reishi, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? Like, what do you think of that? So the one thing like uh, I... I drank for a little a period of time was like that mud water mm -hmm. and it's got all that stuff in it. Mm -hmm. It's got like reishi, it's got lion's mane, like all these things. Like, 
I don't know what those herbs or those plants, like what stance they take in Ayurveda, but do you, do you feel that same way when it comes? Cause people are drinking that every single day. Totally. I mean, we actually, in my, where I went to school, like didn't touch on mushrooms at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, from what I understand, Ayurveda doesn't really have much to say about, about all that. Yeah. And I think it's just because like what I learned was like more of like from like the ancient texts of Ayurveda. Like I think like lion's mane and reishi and everything's kind of more new. Oh, I see. Um, gotcha. So we didn't really touch on that. And I remember I, we did have some, some classmates ask about that. And yeah. I remember my teachers kind of just like saying that that's not really in the classic texts. Like yeah. you won't find reishi or lion's mane or anything mm, um, from what I know, at least yeah. like, you know what I've, what the text that I know of, at least. Um, with, with Ayurveda, is it one of those things that, like, progresses and evolves? Like, is there going to be, is there a certain point where, like, the people maybe at these schools start researching more plants? I'm and, sure. And integrate them into the, the system that you have? Yeah, I'm sure that they, they will, you know, like, if they haven't already. Um, and you're going to be the one to do it. I might be the one to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the one. <clears throat> so prior to the podcast, we were discussing... This was actually, I think, a couple of weeks back when we were talk, just talking about doing the podcast. We were discussing uh, whether or not we were going to have lunch together prior to the podcast. And I mm -hmm. mentioned to you mm -hmm. that I fast, <laughs> right? So how does Ayurveda look at the idea of fasting, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it seems to benefit many people when it comes to spiritual practice. Because you mm -hmm. hear that a lot like sages in, in India. Sage, like fasting can be a form of devotional yoga, right? Um, so they recommend that. You know, you fast for like certain periods of time, but also in like when you go to Peru, sometimes you do ayahuasca ceremonies. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's traditional that you fast for like a couple of weeks or whatever, right? So, like, what is the Ayurvedic stance on fasting? How do you feel about my fasting, Shannon? What I'm asking. <laughs> um, well, first, I could kind of or maybe talk about like how Ayurveda views like eating, yeah, and food and diet. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Definitely, like, there are ideally certain times of days that you want to, like, eat your meals at. So, uh -huh. like, by breakfast, you want to eat it between, like, 7 and 8 a.m. Yeah. Um, and lunch, you want to eat between, like, 12 and no later than 2 because that's actually when our digestive fire is the highest. Uh -huh. Just, like, when the sun is the highest because, again, like, that connection between being part of nature. Yeah. So... If you are going to fast, the time to do it is actually for dinner time, which ideally would be eaten between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. and your, be your lightest meal of the day. So like for dinner, you want to maybe just have like a stew or some veggies or a soup because that's when our digestive fire is actually the lowest. So it comes back to like the gut health. Um, you know, when we eat foods that like don't digest well or on time um, or if we're eating like really late at night and then going to bed, like we're just we're allowing these toxins to build up in our system yeah. and then eventually they turn into like whatever, you know? Um, so that's why it's like digestion is super, super important. Ayurveda, not only like eating foods that are easy to digest, but that's why you use spices. That's why you drink um, digestive teas after you eat to yeah. really help like get that, like, you know, get the food, get the nutrients that you need from that food. And then yeah. the rest comes out. Yeah. And you don't, want, you don't want that to sit in there and accumulate toxins or ama is what they call it in Ayurveda. It's really interesting what you're saying because this works, it seems to work in direct contradiction to how most people think of eating, right. right? They think of like their most important meal of the day, well, let's say breakfast, but like the, the, 
the meal that people usually do not skip on is dinner. Mm-hmm. When people think of like fasting, they're like, well, I'll fast throughout the entire day and then I'll have dinner. Yeah. That's what I would do. That's what I, that's what I do. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's very, very different. Yeah. According to Ayurveda, that's, that's not. <laughs> so you're saying <laughs> that, that you're saying that dinner should be the lightest, the lightest and that breakfast and lunch should be like where that comes from. Like the yeah. most of so, your nutrition comes from. Definitely. Yeah. So breakfast can be, you know, not like super big either. Like, you yeah. know, but you do want to eat breakfast. Like you want to eat something nutritious, even if it's just like stewed apples or like oatmeal or something uh-huh. like, um, you know, you don't want to eat like a lot of carbs either. Um, yeah. but then when it comes to lunch, that's when it really can be like your heaviest meal of the day. And that can also be, if you do want to eat like a sweet snack, like ice cream or something, like that's a more ideal time to eat as well. Like in the middle of the day versus, you know, a lot, it's pretty normal for us to have a dessert, like evening time. But like, um, there's also different times of the days where the doshas naturally are going to be higher. So like for kapha dosha, um, which has elements of earth and water and properties are like heavy, cool, um, slow, smooth, um, very like grounding. Like that's kapha time is like um, in the evening. So between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. And so that's why our digestion is a lot slower because um, and pitta is between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And then vata 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. So like these different doshas like, get elevated throughout the day. So you don't want to be eating sweets during kapha time when yeah. like your digestion is going to naturally slow down because kapha is beco- naturally becoming elevated, which makes sense because we start to wind down, we get tired. So you want to be in bed by like 10 PM, you know, yeah. cause then pitta starts to be, get activated after 10 till 2 AM. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because that's also when like a lot of people feel like inspired to like get work done and like right. stay up late and they feel really energized. Like I can get all yeah, these things that's done. Like me. That's me. Yeah. Well, that's like, you know, not the most like, <laughs> best thing to do. Like, um, instead, you, yeah. Instead you'd want to wake, go to bed early and then wake up early. So wake up like during Vata time, which is 2am to 6pm or 6am. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, get your work done or do your spiritual practices like um, in that time, like ideally, you know, around 445 um, yeah. So what is, um, this is interesting. I find this really, really interesting. So a lot of people, they've just grown up with just this standard of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Everybody collectively seems to abide by that. Like wake up at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., everybody's having breakfast. Everybody takes a noon lunch when they're at work mm-hmm. to have lunch. Dinner happens when you get off of work. Everybody seems to be dialed into this. I know I've researched this. This has a lot to do with the nuclear family era that revolved a lot around the war, Right. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner—that whole thing—and and I want to know what you think of this because there was a certain period of time where I wanted to break out of that. Like I, I started asking myself, like, how much food do I really need to eat? Because I'd be around people that ate breakfast in the morning, and then at lunch, like a, a substantial breakfast, like a huge breakfast, right. and then at lunch, I don't even know if they're hungry or not. But it seems like they just do it because at noon, that's what people do. They're having a huge lunch. Mm-hmm. It seems in some ways that they're getting more nutrition than they need. Some of these people that I've known have been overweight too. So what I wanted to do, I wanted to test the boundaries of like what my body really needed. And of course, it probably would have helped a little bit more if I'd more in tune with the Ayurvedic piece of it. But I was just going off intuition at this point. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to not eat. I'm not going to eat breakfast and see how I feel. I'm not going to eat lunch and see how I feel. I'm just going to eat when I get hungry. How about that? Like I'm not going to schedule it everything. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I found that I needed a lot less food than I actually needed. Mm-hmm. And that didn't mean that I, I fasted. I mean, fasting was like a relatively new thing, but I found that like when I started listening to my body and only eating when I got hungry, I found myself not needing as much as I had ever been eating before. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, it makes it, it, I'm trying to tie it to what you're talking about. Is everybody's so different. Yep. Like everybody's so different. And I want to know what you think. Like, is there something to, if you have somebody that comes to you, you determine what kind of dose, dose, like dose they are, a schedule in which they should eat. Like, would somebody benefit more off of eating at this specific time over eating this specific time? Like, is that something that you guys incorporate? Yeah. I mean, when I, you know, I, that is part of the intake is asking like ideally what time do you eat breakfast? What time do you eat lunch? What time do you eat dinner? And everyone's so different, you know, like some people, yeah, skip breakfast, have a huge lunch and then eat dinner at like eight o'clock at night. Um, so it's just kind of like, depending on like the times that they normally eat, you know, it's just kind of like dialing it back just a little bit, you know, (laughs) Um, or maybe pushing it forward. Like it kind of really just depends, but also like a big thing in Ayurveda too is like, don't eat if you're not hungry. Right. Like you, like if you're not hungry, like in the morning time, like, you know, yeah. it's better to probably just like honor that, yeah. um, than to try to force yourself to eat something. But ideally like, you know, you would want to still eat something in the morning. So maybe like do something that'll stimulate your appetite. Right. Um, you know, there's little Ayurvedic tricks that you can do to like help stimulate your activate act appetite so that you can be hungry because yeah. you really like yeah like if you are going to skip any meals like dinner is the best one because that's already our digestion's kind of slowed down yeah you know or winding down from the day um but I, yeah you want like you know you do ideally want to eat like a small breakfast yeah. and lunch it seems like we, we we've just been conditioned with a lot of these sort of fear tactics that are meant to get us to consume more food than we actually need because it profits large corporations for us to continue just eating all the time, right? Obviously, obesity is like a huge problem in America, and a lot of that has to do with the money that is circulating Mm -hmm. in in food. And so people, it's crazy. Some people don't even realize that it's it's sort of like an unconscious thing. It's like they just breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day, no exceptions to that. Because if they don't, and you hear those people sometimes too, if I don't have my, my, my lunch, I get hangry, or some people get anxiety, or some people feel like they might die if they don't eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I wonder what percentage of that obviously is your mind, mm-hmm. anxiety, stress. Yeah. Because when I started listening to my body and only eating when I was hungry, I didn't need to eat as much as I was before. Right. And it's also important too to notice or to know if you're like doing anything that might suppress your appetite. So like a lot of, you know, people like drink coffee first thing in the morning, which can definitely suppress you from eating breakfast. And then, you know, you're going like a full, like good amount of chunk of time in the morning without eating till lunchtime. And then you might eat like a huge lunch and then your body is like, whoa, system overload. Like where where did this come from? You know, versus like if you could just eat like a little something in the morning while you're drinking your coffee, um, you know, and then that way when it does come to like lunchtime, you don't have to like indulge and like eat such a, you know, make yourself super full and then you get sleepy and sleepy. Like, that's the like, thing. And in Ayurveda too, it's like, you really only want to eat till you're like your two thirds full. Yeah. Like you don't want to eat till you're like, you know, actually fully full. Yeah. And I've seen people like after they have big lunches, they're just like sitting there and they're not moving. Yeah. <laughs> they just check out, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Yeah. So what is, um, what does Ayurveda think of eating meat? Um, so it's not a vegan, 
science either. Uh-huh. Um, but it is more on the vegetarian side. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, dairy is important. Um, milk is known as like, like, you know, part of just like life. Um, but unfortunately our milks nowadays are very contaminated and not great quality. Um, and also ghee, ghee is a very important staple in Ayurveda. Oh, I've heard of ghee. It's, it's almost like an alternative to butter, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's delicious. Cause I love Indian food and I know Mm -hmm. like they're always talking about ghee. I started Mm -hmm. using it in my own cooking and it is delicious. Yeah. It's amazing. Highly recommend. Um, it's also like can be, you know, um, pretty medicinal on its own as well. Um, but yeah, going back to like me, I mean, goat meat, like lighter meats, you know, are definitely like Mm. more ideal if you're going to eat meat. Um, but you're also, again, just wanting to eat to your dosha. So like some people can, you know, eat a heavier type of meat versus some probably shouldn't, but it, you know, you, and you do, if you are going to eat heavy meats, like you want to make sure you take care of your digestion afterwards. Like, maybe drink some like digestive tea or something to really help break down the meat because it is hard on our system. Yeah. So how, how is it Ayurvedic healing like helped like change the way that you look at your own diet mm-hmm. and like your own life? Cause it, I mean, it's a huge shock to me that like dinner is not the biggest meal that you should be eating. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I imagine there were some elements of like our Western shifts. culture that you had to shift. Definitely. Um, also just like being mindful while eating too. And I'm not going to, yeah. you know, I don't like, I do still eat dinner sometimes with friends and yeah, like, you know, I'm not perfect. Like sometimes yeah. I don't eat breakfast or yeah. like might eat lunch a little later. It's right. just really just like practice. It's a practice. Yeah. yeah. It's just making these small changes, but it definitely has helped me like reshift my like day to day routine. Um, because Routine is really important in Ayurveda. So there's like yeah. a morning routine, midday and evening routine typically. And like yeah. that can look so many different ways for so many different people. Um, but there is kind of like a, um, just like some certain practices you can incorporate in the morning to help with just like your day. That's yeah. really great for anyone. Um, and yeah, so it's definitely has helped me like just be more mindful. Like I think at the end of the day, it's just being more mindful, mindful. about what you're putting in your body, how you're putting it in your body, when, um, you know, that, that's all part of diet in Ayurveda, not just the f- actual food you're eating, but how you're eating it, when you're eating it. Um, so yeah, yeah just kind of being yeah more aware of that. That's what comes up for me, mindfulness, mm-hmm. right? And it seems like such a simple thing, but you, I mean, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people are not paying attention. Right. Like they're sitting there. There's so many distractions we have, right? Everywhere. And I think about this all the time. Like you go outside there's, you have spillboards, you have signs, you have the, the sounds of people talking, you have the sounds of music, you have TV, you have media, social media, all of these things have some type of objective. And some of that could be good, some of that could be bad. But the main thing is that it's drawing your attention away a lot of the time mm-hmm. from yourself. Even and just our phones. In your phones, yeah. yeah. So many different things, right? They're always drawing your attention away from the most important thing, which is how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like checking in with yourself. And it seems like such a simple thing, but we're so dedicated to these things that draw our attention away from even our bodies that, you know, someone tells you to just be more mindful. You're just like, what? You're like, what does that even mean? What does it even mean? <laughs> but what you're saying, it's like once you, I imagine you got into your Aveda, sound healing, yoga. Yoga is, a, is, is one of the strongest practices in being mindful. It's unity with the, body, the mind and the spirit. Mm-hmm. Once you start paying attention, it's like, wow. It's like you wake up and you're like, holy crap. You become so much more integrated, I imagine. 
mm-hmm. you know, like with yourself, listening to yourself. Yeah. And we need more stuff like that because a lot of people, it's like, I know people that are just will just sit in front of the TV and they'll just eat. Right. And you don't even like, you don't happen, you don't happen to your food. One minute it was there, one minute it's not like mm-hmm. you go through an entire bag of chips that way. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Got to pay attention. Definitely. Yeah. And actually coming, going back to the yoga. Um, yeah. So yoga and Ayurveda are actually sister sciences. Yeah. Um, with, and they overlap on philosophies as well. So yeah. it's beautiful that you brought that up. Yeah. Mindfulness. That's mm-hmm. I'm huge, huge, huge. You know, when you talk about it, it seems like a, a form of meditation is really right. what it is. It's like right. paying attention to. Just being really present. Being very, very present. Mm-hmm. And we need that. Mm-hmm. So with the advent of, I don't want to say this, this culture being a little bit more open to alternative healing modalities, have you seen more of an openness in people when it comes to Ayurvedic healing? Like the type of people that come to you? Like, mm-hmm. are they regular people? Or are they people from the spiritual community? Like, how receptive are they to yeah. Ayurvedic medicine? Um, it's usually both. Yeah. Um, so, but usually they're very, like, very open and receptive to it. Yeah. Um, because usually when people are coming to, like, an Ayurveda practitioner, it's kind of like they're at that point where they just don't know what else to do. Yeah, they're trying everything. Yeah. Um, so at that point, they're just open and ready to listen as well. Um, but, of course, you will have your people that you might encounter that are kind of like, what is this? Like woo stuff. And you know, it's just being able to like explain it to them and talk to them and kind of like break it down for them um, in a way that they understand that can make the most sense. So it's like really just, it takes a lot of like those like communication skills, you know, like really like understanding who you're talking to, um, like what they can grasp about Ayurveda and like, you know, what you maybe might want to like, leave out until yeah. the second time you meet, you know, <laughs> right. when they kind of have a, a more of a idea or a grasp of like, you know what it is. And then they can sit with it for a little bit. Yeah. Um, the way I do things is I'll do an initial health, health consultation can take anywhere from an hour to two hours, kind of just depending. Um, and then I'll come up with a plan and then we meet a week later and then we'll go over the plan together. Yeah. And then by then usually, you know, it's really, it's easier to like kind of explain how like these, what I'm, suggesting or recommending how it can help them. And then it's kind of, I think that's when it kind of really can make sense to people who are not too familiar with it because then they're like, Oh, okay. Like that makes sense from what you were explaining last week. You know, um, yeah. I'm, this is happening to me because of this imbalance. And then you're inviting something in that's going to help me go back into balance. And then they actually experience it for themselves. And then a few weeks later we meet again and then they're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, like, yeah. you know, it seems to be like this component of like also teaching them to 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 be accountable for their own. Because I, I mentioned the first thing that sometimes maybe people will do when they come to you is that they're just hoping for you to help them. Yeah. And maybe it's not even clear in the beginning that like they're also part of the problem. Like they need to understand what type of impact they're making on their own body, which is like awakening them to their unconscious behaviors of pain. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So imagine like you're sitting there and you're not just trying to do it for them. Like you're showing them. I'm giving them the tools to help them do it. To help them do it Mm themselves. And that's the one thing that obviously modern medicine doesn't do. Like doctors don't do that. Like my mother is going through something with her health because of some long COVID stuff that she's going through. Mm -hmm. And it's like doctors have so many patients, like so many patients. There's no possible way that they could ever keep up with them. Mm -hmm. And the extent of their knowledge is like when they walk up to the door and they look up your file, they're picking up something that they haven't seen in like the last month or two it's like how where's the intimacy there mm-hmm. between your patient and the doctor yeah. it's totally missing and you you don't you don't feel like that person cares about you from a spiritual perspective or even mm-hmm. from a hum, human element so it's like 
they're not spending that time with you. Right. Obviously, that it doesn't seem like there's that compassion there, but like you are spending time getting to know them as a person. You're you're, totally. you're exploring some like a very intimate space with them, mm-hmm. and you're showing them what they need to do. That's a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. That's a really beautiful thing. So what? So what? Um, what is your plan from here on out <laughs> with the, the Ayurvedic thing? And then you were mentioning like you wanted to create your own facility, like your own healthcare wellness facility. Yeah, definitely. Um, so right now I'm currently. Um, building my own Ayurvedic practice. Um, so I'm available for consultations and follow-ups virtually. Um, and then I work out of a couple Ayurvedic centers here in LA where we can do the different body therapies, uh-huh. um, which usually is like always suggested or recommended. Um, cause it's just like an additional way to support like the healing of the body. Um, so I work right now at a place called beyond holistic center in Sherman Oaks and it's okay. an Ayurvedic center. Um, we do do health consultations through there as well, but mostly it's body work and body therapies. Yeah. Um, and then I just started working at, um, another one called heal Ayurveda LA in Culver city. And again, it's just like doing more. So like the body therapies. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of just like, working like hybrid, like working, yeah. like doing the consultations online. And then I have two set, two spaces, right. Like that are already like Ayurvedic centers that I yeah. can do these different therapies at. So you're doing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so how do you get the time to do everything? You're doing sound baths, sound healing, you're doing yoga, you're doing Ayur- Ayurveda. It's a lot, but it's worth it. But you're like living and breathing everything. <laughs> I'm living in my Dharma. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful to yeah, do that. But- so, for everybody that's listening, she has a website. What is it? OmShantiOfferings.com, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if they want any more information on what it is that you're doing, the services yep. that you have available, OmShantiOfferings.com. I'll put that in the description of the podcast episode. You can click on it and go to her website. But she's also on IG. Is it the same handle? Same handle, yep. But oh. no, no .com. <laughs> no .com. Yeah. No, no .com. And that, it's really cool because uh, I keep up with you during uh, through your IG. She posts a lot of videos of doing exactly what she's been doing, Ayurveda, Sound baths, you're also doing a lot of, I've been to her sound healings, they're really, really beautiful. So if you are in and around the Los Angeles area, check them out. She's at several different yoga studios, and it goes as I am. As and I am, um, Santa Anita Hot Yoga and Holistic yeah. Health. Yeah, and I'm sure lots yeah. of other ones, all, lot, lots of other ones come up. And you've done like festivals, she does all the things. And yeah. you know, you said you have a bachelor in psychology. Mm-hmm. That's cool. You mm-hmm. just do pretty much everything. You're just and, like a yeah. professor of the spirit. <laughs> I have a minor in degree in sustainability too, so... Wow. Just like throw that in there. <laughs> yeah. Ba- a wizard, basically. We're just com- coming back to that. Yeah. Wizard Shannon. Yep. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming in. I wanted to ask you, though, to our audience, actually, the people that are listening, because you're a healer. I always love to know what your perspectives are when it comes to just life. So if you wanted to just leave our audience with something, some words of advice, somebody <laughs> on their healing journey, somebody going through a lot of, I don't know, terminal or emotional things right now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you wanted to share? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, if you're struggling right now, um, just know that you're not alone and there is support out there. Um, you know, I'm, even though you may not be in the LA area, like I'm always, you know, a phone call or email away for anyone. Um, I'm always honored to hold that safe space and, you know, everything is temporary. Um, and just to keep, keep going and, you know, you'll definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and life is beautiful. <laughs> and life is beautiful. I love that. It is. Especially on Earth Day, right? Especially on Earth Day. Especially on Earth Day. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Shannon. Thank Again, you. she can be 
founded Om Shanti Offerings. I would love to have you back. We could talk about a bunch of different things because totally. you're so well-versed in everything pretty much. Thank you. <laughs> I'd love to pick your brain on just life, yeah. you know? Sounds good. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you again for coming in. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to Buy Nobody's Podcast. That was a really, really, really beautiful journey. Now I know probably I'm just touching the very, very, very beginning of Ayurveda. I'm going to have to, one, learn how to say it first. <laughs> Ayurveda. You would imagine saying that like three or four times fast. It's like a tongue twister. Yeah. Also want to mention um, Ayurveda is the Sanskrit term meaning the science of life. The so science of life. So Ayurveda is life. You heard that? Yeah. That's science. Yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in. <laughs> I know what is podcast. If you're joining us on an audio platform, please feel free to follow the podcast, like, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Let us know how we're doing. We're also on other social media platforms. On Instagram, you can find us at Dubai Nobody's Podcast on Instagram. You could also reach out to us on YouTube. We post these episodes, um, videos online. So you can see me and Shannon conversing with each other. And of course, I'm sure you'll hear more from us in the weeks ahead. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us uh, directly through uh, Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, I will talk to you guys soon. Namaste, friends.